missionary has had us going through first and second Timothy. We'll be concluding with second uh, Timothy today. And next week we'll be doing a sermon on Ephesians. And here Paul is giving his advice at the end of his life to his young disciple Timothy. And here he's talking about offering encouragement or exhortation as it's said in the older English. This is, listen for the word of God to you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, exhort, or encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Oh Jesus, you know we are your sheep and we long for your appearing. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't know when the harvest is going to be. So speak, oh Lord, in an encouraging word today. Come alongside us to strengthen us in our inner beings that we may reap a harvest if we don't give up. Lord, any words that I say that are not of your will, I ask that they fall to the ground and be forgotten. But whatever I say that is of your will, I ask that embed in hearts and bear good fruit unto the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not hinder your word, but feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the article 36 of the dumbest things people have done to impress someone they liked, which is perhaps the best titled article in all of the internet, Anonymous people submit some of the dumb things they've tried to impress people they're trying to win their affections over. And I'm not going to go through all 36 of them, just my favorites. And uh, I quote, In my last year of high school, I let one of her friends set fire to my arm because she wanted to see what it would look like. Uh, In sixth grade, I changed the way I wrote the number four from the field goal post fashion to the triangle fashion number four in the hopes that the girl who sat next to me in math class would notice we wrote the number four in a similar fashion and we become infatuated with me. Still right that way till this day. Woke up at 6 a.m. three days a week to go to breakfast and sit at a table near his. One time he talked to me about his omelet. That was the highlight of my year. I touched a wild raccoon once because a girl told me to. We were walking together and there was a raccoon sitting on the top of a trash can digging through the garbage. 
She told me to go touch it or else she would walk away. So with no real second thought of it, I went up and touched the raccoon's tail. It didn't seem to care. Worth it. All right. <laughs> One more. I drew a picture, and this is my favorite. I drew a picture of a knight fighting a dragon and wrote a note asking her out. Needless to say, I was unsuccessful. The note began, hear ye, hear ye, art thou single? It only went downhill from there. Uh, and I have to clarify, like, that, that one doesn't come from me, though, good idea. Good idea. Those of you who know me know I love, love my, my corny lines. We, we, we all have tried, right, at some point in our lives to offer something, anything, for love. And we know it doesn't work, but it doesn't stop us from trying. Yet when we are already in a relationship, when we are already in a relationship of love, sometimes when we offer up ourselves, when we sacrifice, when we pour ourselves out for that love, may that be a person, an organization, a family member, or God, people may be convinced that what we love is worth loving, that what we love is true because we are willing to suffer for what we love. And Paul today here is near the end of his life. And he's trying to encourage Timothy that yes, Jesus Christ is worthy. He is worthy of your love. And to offer your, yourself up as a good evangelist. And he says the way that we do this is to become a drink offering. Now, a drink offering is not really like something we do these days. I tried to illustrate it in a children's sermon. And we have to understand a little bit of the context. As uh, my friend Billy the Scapegoat illustrated, back in the, the day before Jesus, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, we would sacrifice animals. Um, thankfully, Jesus fulfilled the law. He made a perfect sacrifice to cover over all our sins, and we don't have to do that anymore. So that was the first sacrifice offered, the sacrifice of an animal. Then there was a grain offering to give thanks for all of God's provision, which we still do. Please do not put rice in the offering plate. I know I set myself up for that, and someone may do it, but, you know, it would be a funny joke. Still, still don't do it. And uh, we still do that. We author our tithes and our offerings. And the final um, offering is actually one that I've been thinking of probably since the entire time I've been at Calvin because I've read this term, drink offering, and I, I was like, what in the world, Paul, are you talking about? Well, apparently, after the animal offering and the grain offering, they would offer a drink offering of wine and pour it on the altar but only in particular circumstances, only when they were celebrating a victory. When God's people entered the promised land, they would offer a drink offering in celebration that God alone, that God alone hath done it. And they wouldn't offer the drink offering till that celebration was complete. If we know this, what Jesus' words at the Last Supper makes sense. After he did the words of institution, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom, until I drink it with you in victory. And what Paul is saying is when we pour ourselves out, God will use us as that wine for that victory and that final feast. And uh, the good news today, which is on the back of your bulletins, is when we offer exhortation, our lives will be the wine at the Lord's celebration. It rhymes. I try to find things that rhyme. When we offer exhortation, our lives will be the wine at the Lord's celebration. I I believe this drink offering idea comes from the idea of exhortation. Um, Our encouragement, the older word is exhortation, and it comes from this idea, Paul talks about two other concepts, correcting and rebuking, and many of us are bitter when that happens because we leave out the third, which is encouragement or exhortation. And I believe it is encouragement and exhortation that turns the other two, rebuking and correction, into a sweet flavor rather than a bitter flavor. It is what turns our lives into a fine wine when the Lord lifts his cup and says, this wine is good. It is well seasoned. It is a good taste. And instead of telling you a lot of stories about exhortation, I just wanted today to tell you one of a woman named Mary Slesser, a woman that I had never heard of, but a woman that is very important in the nation of Nigeria. Recently, I met two Nigerian Presbyterians, and I discovered that the Presbyterian Church is the major Christian church in Nigeria, which is about 50% of the population. Now, generally, I don't associate the Presbyterian Church with Nigeria. I more associate it with bagpipes and, like, kilts. Um, instead of the Mibra, which if you look on the back of your bulletins, is sort of like a hand piano. It's very popular among the people of the Afiki people in Nigeria. And that's where these folks came from. And I was really surprised to find that the Presbyterian Church had such a hold in Nigeria that these folks, when they came to the United States, looked for a Presbyterian Church And it's largely due to the efforts of this one missionary from Scotland whose name is Mary Slesser. And I'm just going to shortly tell you her story. This comes from a 2015 article by the BBC. I quote it in part. To begin with, Mary Slesser was every inch a Victorian missionary seeking converts to Christianity amid the African jungle When she first arrived in Nigeria, she described the local people as heathens. But as she settled into life among the ordinary people of Calabar, her attitude quickly changed. And not only did she change and save lives in the city and beyond, she changed the whole meaning of missionary work and how to serve the church abroad. Slesser's early life in Dundee, Scotland, was difficult. Her father was an alcoholic who eventually died of pneumonia, and Mary effectively became the family's main breadworker winner, working 12 hours a day in a jute mill. Jute is apparently a fiber made from tropical plants used for clothing and rope. However, she was inspired by her mother's strong Presbyterian faith, 
and longed to follow in the footsteps of David Livingston, a famous missionary. In 1876, at the age of 28, Slessor set sail for Nigeria aboard the SS Ethiopia. She held a number of positions in missionary compounds in the city, but managed to get herself deployed deeper into the city following a leave of absence in Scotland after she contracted malaria in 1879. At her new position, instead of staying in the missionary compound, Slesher spent far more time among the people of Calabar. Firstly, learning to eat their food she could hardly afford to feed herself, she sent so much of her wages home, and then learning the local language. With her red hair and blue eyes, she was instantly recognizable to the local people who came to trust and even revere her for her tireless fight as she put on their behalf. The Reverend John Chalmers, who is the moderator of the Church of Scotland, says this of Mary Slessor. She was a remarkable woman in her time. There was a very strict regimen, a strict dress code, and a manner in which the work of the missionaries had to be carried out. What was different about Mary Slessor was that she realized that in order to be effective, she had to break some of those molds. She saw that there were great injustices, Issues she felt were detrimental to the way women and children were treated in society. She saw it wasn't some dominant force that would change things, but getting down beside the people, learning their language, not being in any distant missionary house. One justice in particular, which pained Slesser, was the local superstition around twins. It was held that when twins were born, one of them was possessed by an evil spirit, because no one could tell which of the twins was evil, both were abandoned or killed, and their mother ostracized. Mary Slessor realized it would take a generation of cultural change to bring about a difference. She worked down at the grassroots, adopting those children, saving their lives, pulling them up from the bush. Slessor saved hundreds of twins who had been left in the bush to die including Janie, a girl she took as her daughter, going as far to bring her home to Scotland with her. On a further missionary trip to Nigeria in 1888, Slessor embedded herself among the Akong and Afiki people for 15 years in an area previously thought too dangerous to work in after male missionaries were killed. Living in a traditional house alongside the native people, Slessor became vice counsel of Akong, presiding over native courts, and became known as the White Queen of Akong. When she died in 1915, Slessor was honored with an elaborate funeral, with senior British officials attending in full uniform and flags flying at half-mast at government buildings, revered to this day by the Hafiki people in Calabar. Mary Slessor's legacy became one of mercy rather than religious convictions, conversions. She didn't just take with her these Western values. She wore the same clothes as the locals, wore and lived with the people and learned their language. That makes her different in many respects, that she was willing to come alongside the people. And, you know, I would disagree that Mary Slessor's life was not typified by conversion, because a hundred years after her death, I met a couple that rebuked the practice of child sacrifice. 
that saw the value of life and of love and that perfect love casts out fear and she didn't get to see all of it. She worked for a generation and didn't get to see all of it, but I saw the fruit. I saw the fruit before my eyes and it changed me. But how do we bear that fruit? Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of Mark where John and uh, James come to him and say, Jesus, we want you to do something for us. And it's, you know it's always bad when they don't tell you what they want to do. And he, he, he's like, okay, what is it? And he's like, make us at your right and left hand in your kingdom. And he's like, do you know what you're asking? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the cup that I'm going to be baptized with? And they're basically like, yep, we got this. And Jesus is like, the cup that I will drink, you will drink. The cup that I will be baptized with, you will be baptized with. But my right and left hand are not for me to give, but only for my Father. And then, of course, the other disciples found out, and they were indignant just because James and John got there first. Uh, they, they were planning on it. James and John just got there first, and they're fighting. And he said to them, you see the Gentiles? You see the rest of the world who lords it over each other? That shall not be with you, for the greatest must be a servant. And if you want to be a king, you must be a slave, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he paid that ransom. He poured out that cup of wrath upon himself at the cross. And his cup today is empty. And he's waiting. He's waiting for us to fill the cup at his feast. And we will. We will fill that cup when we offer exhortation in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.